Well, good evening. I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. Um, I'm excited for tonight's show. I think you're going to be too. I, I love innovation. I like when, um, you know, the timber industry's had a hard time in Oregon for many, many years. Um, environmental community, people just restrictions, regulations, you know, everything coming down, less timber can be cut. And these folks who are in the timber industry um, are so innovative and coming up with new and better ideas on, on how to use wood, how to produce it more efficiently. Um, they don't get a lot of credit for that a lot of times, but um, that's what we're trying to do tonight is kind of show you some things that they're doing to not only innovate and create better products, um, but also um, to, to help the environment. Um, I know there's a lot of people that come to Oregon and they have the wrong idea about the timber industry. And I say it's the wrong idea because that's my opinion. They come from New York or California. They see a clear cut. They judge. They don't understand why it's done. I have these two friends from California. They retired here. These two women, their partners, they retired here. They started a tree farm. And guess who helped them? People in the timber industry. So we're going to have a conversation tonight about carbon sequestering. We're going to talk about the, the cool things that they're doing and the 18 story buildings built out of the most natural product, um, wood. feel like a lot of businesses and a lot of individuals feel like they, they want to support them, but they feel like they can't because they feel like they'll be retaliated against. And I don't care. Like, I, I, I don't. I, I think we should support our police. They're wonderful people. They're not racist. They're not, they, they support, it's who we call when we have an emergency. I, I do a lot of sponsorship with the police departments locally. Uh, I feel like they don't have enough support and I wanted to show my support by putting the billboard up and I got Rick, you know, I got you on the billboard, I got uh, uh, Kill Colin on the uh, uh, billboard uh, uh, and I just want to show that our support. I think more businesses need to show their, their back, their back the blue. Christdale Family Dentistry, where everyone is welcome. That's everyone. Um, doesn't care about your back status or anything like that. If you need dental care, he's the guy to help you. And he loves freedom. Uh, other sponsor, Buck Sanitary Service, does a lot of work with the timber industry. Um, and fires and things like that, Bucks and Sanitary Services all over those places, uh, providing outhouses, showers, things like that for the firefighters. So we love having them on board too. Transworld Business Advisors will be up in just a few minutes. And Rosa Real Estate also sponsors for our show. But let's get to what we're doing here tonight. Uh, this is Tyler Freres uh, with Freres Engineered Wood. How long is Tyler? Welcome. I'm glad to have you. Hey, thank you, Rick. I appreciate it. So how long has your family been in the lumber industry in Oregon? Well, 
coincidentally, this is actually our hundredth year in operation. So uh, tomorrow we're actually going to be celebrating our hundred years with a uh, centennial party, and on Sunday we're going to be celebrating with all of our employees and hopefully anyone else in the Sandium Canyon that wants to stop by and celebrate this occasion with us. So you're, I mean, what's kind of cool though is you're. To your grandparents, or great grandparents, probably somewhere in there. I'm, I'm guessing. Was it your great or your great great? Uh, just grandfather. Your grandfather. Yeah. So he starts logging, and if he saw what you're doing today, <laughs> he he'd flip. I mean, you guys have really innovated. Yeah, you know, it's been a, a constant change for the last hundred years. I mean, we uh, of course started out in lumber because that was the first product that they really made out of trees that wasn't know a log cabin right so but after that we uh, transitioned into veneer production uh in the 1950s after world war ii and the vets were coming back and uh needed needed affordable housing we transitioned into uh plywood at the end of the 90s uh electricity generation and in, in the early 2000s and now you know we're pushing the uh pushing the boundaries when it comes to engineered wood products so Pushing the boundaries. I'm going to show some pictures and you tell me what this is, okay? Because you've got, you're going to build, tell them about the 18-story building. I, I think that's fascinating. Well, you know, I, I think an easy way to start is that, you know, we uh, we have patented and developed our own type of mass timber wood product entirely based out of veneer. So we can make a platform of wood that's essentially 12 feet wide, 48 feet long, and up to 12 inches thick. Or we can make a beam or a column that's uh, four feet wide and two feet thick and 48 feet long. Uh, and all of these types of materials can be prefabricated into elements for a multi-story building. And while in the past people were, were afraid of using wood in buildings because there was always the fire issue that, that uh, came along with it. But what we have now is essentially decades of study that, have, that has shown that when you take a large wood element and you subject it to fire, it actually maintains its capacity and its structural bearing for a lot longer than steel does at a lot higher temperatures. So what that's allowed us to do is to open up the building codes and put wood into the types of buildings that have, that's never been considered before much. So right now the building code is, uh, has been expanded to allow us to, to uh, go into buildings up to 18 stories. So the fires hit you and you guys, um, how much, how much, timber did you lose in the forest fires? Well, we we are not a timberland heavy type of family business. Uh, we've always focused on our on our plants and operations. So we have about 17,000 acres of timber, um, of which about 5,800 5, acres uh, were impacted by the Beachy Creek fire. So just over 30% of our total holdings were actually burnt up by the Beachy Creek fire. So how hard is it for, for you guys, if you're a private landowner, you can harvest your timber. But if people are getting stuff, I'm sure a lot of yours comes from the Forest Service or from the federal government as well. And when they don't clean up and harvest and salvage um, anymore, show people, let's show people what you did with salvaged timber from forest fires. Yeah, so we were able to take all 5,800 acres that were impacted. And this is a, it was a wide range of age classes, uh, which is how we designate timber in the industry. So young trees, old trees, trees in the middle. Uh, and we have a very consistent inventory. We know exactly uh, each year how much inventory of fiber we have on all of our private lands. 
we were able to recover 100% of the burned volume after the fire and turn it into usable wood products. Uh, there's a significant cost to that, of, of course, for us as well, in that you know we immediately replanted about three million trees, um, and each tree costs about a dollar seventy-five by the time you get in the ground. So that was a an expense that that we do in order to start the the forest growing again. But we will likely not see another dollar of income come off that uh, that investment for another forty to sixty years. And that's the true for a lot of timber owners, like different families timber companies is they you know it's going to take you lost a ton they lost a ton of of usable product and it's going to take you know years because you're you guys are on like a 40-year cycle i find it so amazing that um you know you're really investing in the future because you're not going to you know you might see it but you probably aren't going it's going to be your kids or your you know somebody else is going to be dealing with that what you're planning today and i think a lot of people don't understand that about the industry yeah and especially for us where we're trying to make advanced engineered wood products you know 40 years is actually a short cycle for us so you know typically we're looking at a 60 to 80 year with maybe a pre-commercial thin at 40. so you know, I have a 15-year-old son right now. He's going to be 75 years old before we see significant harvest come off the lands that we've replanted after these fires. So tell him about the Portland Airport project, and I'll show some pictures here because this is unbelievable. Well, the uh, the Portland Airport project is is essentially the replacement of the entire terminal core, and it's been underway for about a year now. Uh, you know, it was just providence when you get down to it and that you know we had just developed a unique and innovative uh, innovative mass timber product product and uh, the port was looking at at uh, maintaining its place as one of the one of the finest airports in the world so uh, and they they immediately wanted to go to local products and local suppliers and and also had a real vision towards carbon sequestration and sustainability so I really have to hand have to hand it to the Port of Portland for leading with their principles and being able to dive into what has been a, such a con contentious issue over the last 30 years, which is essentially uh, uh, forest management. Uh, for the project itself, if I can describe it, it's it's an undulating roof structure in which we provided uh, eight acres worth of two inch thick uh, mass ply panels to cover it. There's hardly a single rectangular panel on the entire roof. It's all beveled and angled in order to fit over the curvature. So it's an extraordinary structure. It was designed by ZGF. Um, Hoffman Skanska were the primary contractors, but we worked primarily with Swinerton on this project. And everyone we worked with were the utmost professionals. And uh, it's been a, just an extraordinary experience for us. And did some of that material come from fire or salvage wood? Yeah, in fact, you know, we, uh, during that period of time, while we were constructing the Portland Airport project uh, or the products for it, uh, is when we were salvaging the, the material. So a full 75% of all the fiber that's used in the Portland Airport is all salvage or dead timber that uh, we were able to turn into carbon sequestrating products on that project. So let's talk about um, climate change. Um, I think you guys are one of the, the businesses, the industries that don't get much credit for what you actually you and your product <laughs> you in terms of managing it but your product does explain to people how that works because i don't think 
a lot of people and the environmental community never gives you credit for it. They don't talk about it. Yeah, well, part of the reason is that you have to take yourself back to the, the early grade school or elementary education where you learn that trees breathe in carbon dioxide and they take that carbon and they use it to build up their cellular structure. And then the then oxygen is breathed out or they breathe out oxygen as a byproduct. So helping all of us, <laughs> mankind on Earth. Um, but if you're able to take that tree uh, later on in its life when it's gone through its, its largest carbon sequestering potential and turn it into a usable wood product, you've sequestered that carbon inside the building for the lifetime of the structure. So, you know, the, uh, the International Energy Agency uh, estimates that buildings by themselves are responsible for 42% of all carbon emissions on Earth. Well, just by being able to use mass timber instead of steel or concrete, we're able to reduce the overall carbon uh, effect of these buildings by about 35%. Wow, and so that wood, that lumber, is actually storing the carbon for the life of the product. And then I think where people don't put that together is if you have a forest fire and you're leaving timber on the ground to rot, that creates carbon, right? Oh, absolutely. And it's it's so much worse than that when you get down to it, because not only does it release carbon, it actually releases methane, which some estimates are methane is eight to 25 times more dangerous from a global green greenhouse gas perspective than carbon. So just by rotting over time, that's what the trees release. But the problem is, is that we're also leaving dead drying wood out in the forest that will become the kindling for the next forest fire as well. So if history has told us anything, is that we will see another forest fire in this area just by virtue of what they have decided to do, which is essentially leave the federal lands untouched and unrehabilitated and unsalvaged. And so then when you have a forest fire, like we did all those fires two years ago, that puts tons of carbon into the air, into the air that we breathe, but it also into the environment. So by leaving it, you're causing even a bigger problem because once it does burn, now you've got more carbon in the air. So does that, it just doesn't make sense to me is why we're not talking more about um, this, this whole kind of system and how we can do so much just with a natural product, but by managing it, um, it, it, it just seems crazy to me. And why doesn't that get any press? Why don't people talk about that? You know, I, I don't know. I think it's, uh, it, it's a little bit of a mystery to me, but I, I think that um, the timber industry has continually been losing messaging for the last 30 years since the timber wars. And, you know, we've gotten to a point where people seem to think that if you put environmental or you put justice on, on, a, uh, on a company name that it's okay if they litigate every single type of beneficial aspect of every single uh, forest service uh, project to try and mitigate uh, salvage or or forest restoration. And that's the point that we're in is that we've essentially, uh, what we're seeing now is the result of 30 years of essentially forest management by litigation. Um, the foresters and the Forest Service, the, the Bureau of Land Management, these people know what to do. They're, they are true experts and they are specialists in their field. And we've got to start listening to them if we really want to see a beneficial outcome from our forests. Because it's become all too political. So they can't really do what they, if, what they know is the right thing to do. They have to do what the political thing says that they have to do to make people 
feel better. You know, that's that's largely it. And, you know, in, in Oregon, we have a little bit of a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde sort of sort of mentality where, um, you know, Kate Brown, uh, Governor Brown has uh, has indicated support for mass timber construction and helped ex expedite mass timber as a, a good sustainable product product to be used on a special alternate path for approval on, on multi-story buildings. But they won't release the timber. So there's a disconnect between, yes, we like your buildings, but no, we don't want to provide you with the materials in which in which to build your buildings. So we take credit, the politicians take credit for, we've, we're, we're supporting this more natural way because steel and concrete, what does that do to the carbon footprint, Tyler? Well, that's, that's exactly right. And the beauty about mass timber is that we've been talking about the environmental aspects of forest management, about using wood. I mean, wood is a, it's renewable, it's recyclable, it's, it's reusable, and it sequesters carbon, and it's completely solar powered. So, you know, when you put that side by side with steel and concrete, there's absolutely no comparison to the environmental benefits that come from building with wood and, and can, compared to steel and concrete. So it's a no-brainer when you talk to the astute architects, engineers, and even the astute policymakers out there, but it's making the, the connection between, yes, these buildings are good, but yes, we also need to manage our forest and make sure that we don't have too much dead and dying wood out there that will become the uh, catalyst for the next forest fire. Okay, hold that thought for just a second. We're getting lots of comments. I'm gonna run a couple more commercials and we'll get right back to you basically open this door into a world that people don't even know exists and all of a sudden here's all these ideas and businesses and thoughts and and uh and you could change somebody's life that way because they had no plan in owning like a bike shop or a granite shop and now all of a sudden they're doing something they never knew that they'd love both those cases those guys weren't looking for those businesses they bought but they fell in love with the those businesses and they're actually both doing really well. And that's what I do. I'm kind of that dream maker, you know, and that's, uh, I'm easy to talk to. I listen to the buyers, I listen to the sellers and, um, you know, just through conversation, I kind of figure out, and, and even sometimes we look at a few businesses. I'm not gonna twist your arm into buying, make, making you buy something you don't want. I'm just gonna help you find something that's gonna be a good fit. And that's more important to me because I, I want you to be happy with your purchase because it's gonna be a big part of your life for a while. Here with Brothers of Real Estate. I'm just sitting out, having my morning cup of coffee, thinking about how much I'm going to have to pay for rent next year. Thinking about how much I'm going to have to pay for rent is a little bit stressful because I was talking to Derek last week and he was telling me how affordable mortgages are, especially with a 3.5% first time home buyer's loan. I, had, I knew nothing about this coming into real estate. It was a shock to me. And how easy it is to get into a home, especially with Derek, is it blows my mind. So over this next year, I'm going to be doing a little bit of shopping, maybe buying a rental. Who knows? I mean, the world is my oyster. I got this home. I got this home buyer's assistance. I can even qualify for a zero dollar down payment, which is so incredible. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to learn more about FHA loans and zero down payments, just give Derek a call. He's the man to talk to. All right. So. Tyler, I like Tom's comment here. He says, making people feel better is not good land management. That has to be so frustrating for you guys when um, 
you know, a, a feeling or, you know, it's really easy. They, they've done a great job of selling their message, but, but, it, but there's a lot of hypocrisy in there because you can't, you can't, what do they live in? Stone houses? I mean, you're living in a, in, a, in a home made from stick frame, probably, more than likely. Even manufactured homes have wood in them. And then you're turning around and limiting what can be produced because they don't like the look of a clear cut. I, I, it, it, react to that for me. No, absolutely. You know, I, I think people... Uh... You know, you put up a little bit of drywall in your house and you don't see the studs behind it or the plywood that's used to keep your shear walls together. I mean, you know, people, there's there's a, a little bit of an urban and rural disconnect as well, where we, we've lost the connection between the products we use or consume on a daily basis and, and where they actually come from. Uh, you know, like ground beef does not come from a cow. <laughs> it just comes from the, from the butcher shop. <laughs> Right. So when, when, when school kids are asked where eggs come from, it's a carton at the grocery store. They don't even know it comes out of a chicken's butt, you know? I mean. Exactly. Well, and, you know, so for this type of product, people can generally see the fact that we import most of our steel from China. So are we really supposed to say that it's more sustainable to import steel produced in China or innovative wood products produced here in Oregon? that we replant, we steward our, our forests, we make sure that, that uh, the environmental, environmental attributes are, are, uh, are seen as well. I mean, we, uh, we, we go through a lot of work to make sure that we don't impact the, the environment negatively. I think it's also interesting because I know a lot of loggers and people who work in the forest, and the reason they work in the forest is because they love it. Um, and yet, sometimes I think the... Uh, the radical folks try to make it look like you guys are just out there to take everything you can. And, you know, and, and these loggers just cutting down trees and, you know, I mean, it's, it's a process. It's not murder. <laughs> you know? No, that's exactly right. And everything, every timber sale that we operate on is, has such tight contractual restraints. You know, most of the federal timber sales are put up with several years of NEPA analysis, the National Environmental Protection Act. So it's gone through years of scientific review before it even goes out to timber sale for bid. So at that point, we know it's still going to be litigated. So you've got several years after that before you can actually come up with a judgment and, and perform your timber harvest. So it, it's a difficult process to go through, but it's valuable. You know, a lot of people don't realize that that uh, the federal gov government owns 60 percent of our state. Yeah, but they provide less than 10 percent of the harvest. So really, since the Northwest Forest Plan with uh, uh, President Clinton and Vice President Gore, I mean, we've essentially pushed all timber harvest down to the private landowner where you have a consistent harvest. But really, the, the most more sustainable way to do things is to have a lighter touch around a larger land area. So right now, the, the federal government's in a position in which they recognize that they need to quadruple their land management in order to mitigate the, the uh, potential wildfire uh, dangers. Well, make them available. We are here. I mean, at least in Oregon, we still have a timber company or timber industry base in which to pull from that we can actually turn it into usable products. In California, they don't have that anymore. They don't have any way to get rid of all the dead and dying trees that they have that are causing so much problems. So I'm sorry. You know, while the timber industry is still around, let's turn into turn us into a beneficial usage towards managing our forests for for social good. 
So they know the Forest Service. They know they need to get that timber out of there. Oh, absolutely. No, th these are direct statements from the uh, from the Biden administration that they they need to manage the forest. You know, part of part of the uh, the problem is is that people um, generally like the idea of saying we are going to clean out the underbrush or we're going to thin some of the unusable trees. But as soon as you start saying, well, we can turn some of these into into product, then that's when some people get upset because, oh, my gosh, there might be profit associated to that. Um, and that's problematic as well. People so, don't have a real concept of how quickly these trees can grow back. Right. And what's interesting is um, those same people need to kind of remember that they probably make a profit when they're in their business and or whatever it is that they do for a living. A profit means you get to live. You have money to live on and survive. Um, it, yeah, it, it, it is crazy. But it, it also what bugs me, Tyler, is that it, they're they're only telling half the story. So they've made the clear cut or the cleaning up of this wood, but they're not. If you leave that there, then how much do you really give a damn about carbon? And how much do you really care about greenhouse gases? If you are not willing, we should be looking at everything, not just electric cars, but pulling that dead and dying timber out of there and then creating more filters by planting new trees and do, do the younger trees do a better job of sequestering, you know, sucking the, the carbon out of the air than old trees? I would just assume that that's true because I know young people do are more productive than me. <laughs> so I don't know. Do they? Is there any studies? Is that true? Uh, absolutely. You know, the faster trees put on growth, the, the, the more carbon they absorb. So as a tree gets gets much older and it stops growing and starts into the decaying range, then yeah, it, it's actually adding to the carbon problems as opposed to helping them. So, so young trees are good. So so, so the, the forest management that's gone on in Oregon or had gone in in Oregon for generations and in your family, a hundred years, that was actually cleaning up the environment. And so has the, and oh, here's an interesting thought, Tyler. Uh, I can say this and then you don't get in trouble, but I, I can get in trouble, it's okay. I have haters, I like them. Um, but so if, if you looked at the last 30 years at all the reduction in timber that we've done this, and yet the carbon numbers apparently are going up. So the very, maybe the very thing that they're forcing you not to be able to do is one of the things that really was naturally cleaning up that system. So their very efforts to shut you down have actually increased the bigger problem they have now, which is climate change. Isn't that an interesting idea or a thought to have? So to me, if you could, if you're not arrogant, I'm not talking about you, but if you, if you're not arrogant and egotistical, you can admit when you've made a mistake, because if the environment is that important and we really are like 10 years away from, you know, a disaster, wouldn't you do everything possible to change that turn on a pivot and do something different? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, for a company like ours, you know, I, I think we're an ideal solution for this. We, we manufacture veneer, which means that we can use a very small diameter tree in order to make all of our products. We can make a two foot thick beam out of an eight inch tree. I mean, that, that is our, our average block size is an eight inch average. So we are ideally suited to going out and thinning and managing and taking the, the dead and detritus out of our forest and to turn it into usable products. Um, a lot of people don't realize that by 
if you go in for a pre pre-commercial thin at between 40 and 50 years, you will actually have the same volume of timber there in 15 to 20 years later. The trees grow back that much as long as you release them from being overcrowded. Uh, people need, need to understand that these forests are dynamic systems in which survival of the fittest happens every single day. They're all fighting for sunlight, soil nutrients, and water. And if, they, if one is losing out, it's going to die and turn into the kindling for the next fire. So we might as well make sure we're proactive about our management, reduce the volume of, of dead debris on the forest landscape at the 40, 50 year old uh, range, and then release that stand for additional growth in the future. So I think one other thing I would touch on too is I don't think people understand how, how modern modernized your industry is. I mean, if people haven't been in a mill since the old days of chains and you know stuff at Bohemia and all that kind of stuff. This is high tech. You've invested gazillions of dollars in, in manufacturing um, because this is top of the line, state of the art computers, screens. I mean, it's I, I went in a mill about a year ago and I was stunned at everything was so they're using every single inch of that tree. Um, even the bark, you know, I mean, nothing is going to waste on that stuff because of the innovation you guys have gone through. Uh, yeah, you know, over the last hundred years, almost all of our focus of, uh, for investment has been to reduce the amount of residual waste that comes out of, out of uh, a single tree or out of the trees that we process. Because at the end of the day, waste is money down the tubes. And we've been able to create revenue streams off of everything that comes off a tree, whether it's bark fines to nurseries, it's bark dust for uh, for residential homes. We turn hog fuel into electricity through a biomass cogeneration facility. We power about 5,000 homes in the Sanium Canyon just off the electricity that we produce. Uh, and that's not even getting into our primary products of veneer and plywood and mass timber as well. So it's uh, there's a whole lot of beneficial yield off of uh, the products that we make that people use every single day. It reminds me of the start of COVID where there's a toilet paper shortage. Well, we were considered an essential industry because people need toilet paper and people need wood products. So we operated throughout uh, the COVID pandemic without slowing down. So last thing I'll ask you, so celebrating a hundred years, um, what do you hope for the next generation? Like, in terms of messaging, what do you what do you hope people start to understand um, about what it is that you and hundreds of other companies in Oregon, Washington do? Well, you know, honestly, I try to keep up on all the uh, the latest trends in the wood products industry, and we are only scratching the surface as far as what types of materials can be made out of wood, what type of beneficial products can be made out of it. Um, I think the future is incredibly bright when it comes to the, to the wood products industry. You know, Coca-Cola right now is looking at converting all their plastic bottles into wood fiber based cellulose. Well, what a wonderful way to, to uh, tackle some of the, the fossil fuel issues that we have. If you can make it out of renewable material like like wood, they're looking at creating glass out of wood fiber or jet fuel on ethanol. They're doing that right now. We can make jet fuel out of out of wood chips. So we're just at the very beginning. We, we really start with the structural aspect in that we're trying to make shelter for people and we're trying to make it cost effective. We're trying to tackle some of the bigger issues that we have uh, that society has right now. If we can 
push down the cost of construction by prefabricating panels so you're you're screwing things together in a lego type of uh, type of building that's that's a more pleasant building to live in that's more ecologically friendly I, I think at that point we can ring the bell and say we've done something good but the key has to be there has to be the supply there and if we don't change the way we're doing timber management on the federal level and if we don't change our attitude about how timber products are created and maybe incorporate this carbon sequestering message, which is truth into the environmental picture. All these great innovations will, will just gonna be more and more difficult to have it or super expensive because it's gonna be so much harder to get the base product, which is the timber that people like you guys grow. And so people have to, the hypocrisy has to stop. I mean, come on, it's, you, you've had the messaging, not you, I'm sorry, I'm not talking to you Tyler. <laughs> The messaging, it's, it's, you know, there's some truth in there, but there's a big, huge part that's not being told. And if we as Oregonians and Washingtonians and Montanans don't start talking about this and pushing, it's, it's, we're going to have great products that we could do. Our air flights and all these things could be doing, you know, going better. But um, we stopped it because we didn't like the look of a clear cut because <laughs> we didn't understand it. Tyler Freres, thank you so much for being here and with us and taking your time and sending all those pictures. And you know, I've been having meetings and conversations and I'd like to do more with the timber industry because I want to be part of this message changing. I think people need to know the truth and uh, that way it sets us free. And I can't wait to see what you guys do. I can't wait to go to the Portland airport now. I want to see that thing. Oh, they're, they're going to start, start installing that roof here, probably I think in September or so, so that the face of that airport is going to change considerably. And Rick, you're welcome to visit us anytime. I'd love you, love to walk you through our operations and really show you what uh, what we do because it is okay. it is Next definitely time. unique. Next time I'm back in Oregon, yeah, Tom, we didn't even talk about Tom Hunt, one of our people, about the harvest and, and schools. Um, yeah, we did, you know, how that affects schools and everything. But people like you, they're coming on here saying that guy knows what he's talking about. So uh, that's a good thing, Tyler. Hey, thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you later. All right, thanks, Rick. So what you guys can do with that information then is you start just telling the story, start talking about what you heard. Um, that's how things change. Um, social, you know, you start these little these little movements and, um, and it's vital to so many people in Oregon and Washington, all over the country, but especially up here in the Northwest, um, that we get the message straight because not only is it stopping the economy, because that's what we always talk about. Let's start talking about the environment. If you really have a, a natural option to help with climate change, why the question to folks is, why aren't we using it? Why do we refuse to use it? Because you went too far? Because you're sticking your heels in and you don't want to change? Well, if climate change is that important to you, then maybe you need to humble yourself, admit that you made a mistake, and let's start talking about some answers and solutions. I'm Rick Dancer. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back on Monday with an interview that's going to blow you away. Uh, it's a guy running for office, but it doesn't even matter. He's running for a district, uh, 16. But this guy is like special forces. He's been in Iraq. He's been in Afghanistan. He grew up on a, an Indian reservation. And when he talks about that, you're going to see how this is the same thing that's happening to us today. I know you don't understand, but when you watch the interview, it will blow your mind repeating history if we could only learn from it. 
Thanks, Tyler, and all your gang out there. And happy birthday. Have a big celebration tomorrow. And I will see you on Monday.